Hey, special ed teachers. It is the 50th episode. What? Woo, woo. I cannot believe we're already on number 50. That is crazy. And I am also celebrating, drum roll please, 10,000 downloads. Actually, 10.4K to be exact. But you know who's counting? (laughs) Me, of course. But you guys, thank you so much for all of your support and feedback for the show. It is an honor to be in your earbuds, your car speakers, or whatever speakers you all are using to listen. But I know there are a ton of podcasts out there, and it is a privilege that you picked stepping into special education as one that you enjoy listening to. And I really hope this show is helping you on your special ed journey because I started this all because of you. And to help celebrate this amazing feat, on today's 50th episode, I have an amazing guest by the name of Dr. Christine Reeve from Autism Classroom Resources, who wears many hats, and one of them is being a BCBA, which is a board-certified behavior analyst. And today she'll be answering all of your behavior questions. I have been following her for years and I was totally fangirling when I met her on an online event and I was ecstatic that she agreed to be on the show. So in celebration of the 50th episode and 10K downloads, you can have a chance to be entered in a drawing to win a $25 gift card to Amazon. All you need to do is share one of your favorite episodes from the show. You can do this by messaging it to a friend, take a quick screenshot, and you can DM me on Instagram at stepping into special ed or email me at stepping into special ed at gmail.com. Or you can go ahead and post it in the Facebook group at www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash stepping into special ed. And be sure to tag me and that will be your entry into the raffle. You have until June 30th, and I will go ahead and announce the winner on the following episode, which should be on July 4th. So get your entry in now. Again, that due date is Friday, June 30th. All right, let's get into the show. Hey, special ed teachers. Welcome to Stepping Into Special Education. Are you confused with writing IEPs? Need a system to track data? Are you up late Googling strategies for behavior management? Do you wake up with huge goals only to feel that you're not doing enough? Hey, I'm Michelle. I too teach special ed in a low socioeconomic community. I too wanted more connection with my special needs families. I wanted help with IEP meetings and needed more training with behaviors. And I kept asking myself, am I even doing a good job? until I finally found the right strategies and support. In this podcast, you will find guidance with IEPs, behavior strategies, and SPED support so that you will know you've made an impact. So grab your iced coffee, clipboard, and your favorite pen. It is time to get things started. So as I have said before, I have been following Dr. Christine Reeve for years 
I actually have been using her resources since I taught my upper grade level mild moderate autism class back in 2016, and I still use her resources today. So I'd like to share a little bit more about Dr. Christine Reed. From running Autism Classroom Resources and the Special Educator Academy to creating teacher resources on Teachers Pay Teachers, her driving goal has always been about bringing special educators together and helping them serve their students in the best ways they can. With a doctorate in psychology and as a board-certified behavior analyst, she has spent the last 25 years working with a wide variety of special education programs as a behavior specialist, an administrator, university faculty, and primarily as a trainer and consultant. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce to you to Dr. Christine Reeve. Dr. Reeve, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And if you could do, I know I talked a little bit already about you right before the show even started, but if you can go ahead and just introduce yourself and your background. I'm a board certified behavior analyst at the doctoral level, but I've spent most of my career being told I don't sound like a behavior analyst in classrooms supporting special ed and general ed teachers, doing everything from going in and setting up the classroom to figuring out data collection to addressing behavior. And now I get to do a lot more. I I always had this dream that I wanted to get all of my individual people from different states and counties who would never meet each other together so they could share their ideas. And so now with the internet, I have that opportunity so much more. And so through my TPT store and the academy and podcasts like this, it's really exciting to be able to network and bring people together to share ideas so that people can find what's going to work for them. Right, exactly. I know the online space has been incredible for sure. So just getting, yeah, educators and from all areas and walks of life, right? And experiences just to get together. I totally agree with that. And I know, Dr. Reeves, I had a bunch of questions and topics. My audience and myself would love to just pick your brain and everything. So I know it was a lot. It's a lot of um, information, but if you could just, with the questions that I'll be asking you, I'll just be just asking you just some brief stuff, just so we can cover as much as we can, but I'll try to keep this short. (laughs) I'll try to keep it short. It'll be hard, but whatever we get to would be awesome. If not, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or we could do a part two or three, you know? (laughs) Let's see how it goes. Awesome. Okay, so for my first question, I wanted to find out, a lot of my audience members are just going into the special ed classroom and just dealing with not just students with special needs, but also with behaviors that they've never come across before or ever had to deal with before or had to be able to control, right? Or have some type of classroom management with the rest of their students when one student may be having issues, right, that need to be dealt with. So one of my questions are, what are some key classroom management tools that you can set up in your classroom to prevent behaviors from starting in the first place? I can do a whole webinar on that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think the biggest thing that you can do, and I've been thinking about this more and more recently, is really build relationships with your students, to just know them as well as you can 
starting the year off with positive interactions as much as possible, find out what it is that they like and offer that to them without them having to earn it in some way. So it's it's kind of like this is this is the freebies before we move on to my making demands. But I think the second part of building relationships and pairing yourself with reinforcers are things that I think we say all the time, but we never really talk about what that really looks like. And I think the second part that we often forget is once we've kind of gotten them to the idea, this is a cool place to be like that. When I set up a classroom, what I want the kids to think is this is a cool place to be. I set up a classroom one time and I walked, I frequently would go in and we would literally turn a classroom over in a week. We would set it up and then we would run it as a training model. And I walked into the teacher's lounge that week and they said, what is going on in that classroom? And I'm like, why? And they're like, (laughs) because the kids are coming to us and going, oh my God, oh my God, I love my classroom. You're not going to believe it. I'm like, Good. Um, and that right. was really the key. I think that we want to find things that they really enjoy, whether it's listening to a story, telling you about their day, letting them maybe chime into a discussion when it isn't always relevant to the conversation. <laughs> Get Sending them on an errand or taking them with you when you go on an errand. Just Little things like that, that when you do them regularly with the student and they they begin to trust you and they begin to feel like they begin to recognize that you really care about them. And I think that kind of investment makes a big difference for a lot of students is really feeling like the the teacher really cares about me. And when that turns around a correction that you have to give to something that's, oh, she wants me to do better instead of I do it all wrong and I can't do anything, which I think is the point that a lot of our students have gotten to. So I think that's really one of the the key elements. I think we can also start with things like visual token boards and classroom systems, but I think they we have to make sure that we're pairing them with, you know, for some students, it's chatty kind of interaction, but for some students, especially some of our more basic learners, it's like just going over and sitting next to them at recess because they're not playing with anybody, but not necessarily even talking to them. Just doing like, I've had kids that it's like, I'll put a sticker on you, put a sticker on. I put a sticker on you, put a sticker on. And that's the beginning of that reciprocity of an interaction. So it's changing your focus according to the type of student it is and finding a way to get into their world so that they feel like they can trust you. I love how you say that first. It's all about relationships first. Usually, right, with classroom management, we think, okay, what type of rules do I have to put up? What type of consequences do I need to have for the kids? Or what do I need to have up on my boards? It has nothing to do with that first. Number one, our relationships. So I love that you brought that up, Chris. And so my next question, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Okay. No, I could go on forever, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the next thing I wanted to ask you what are the most important elements to look for when you're trying to figure out how to address behavior? That is an excellent question. Um, and I think this because a lot of times we ask the wrong question. I think a lot of times the question that we ask is, what am I going to do about biting or he's hitting? What am I going to do about that? And the mm-hmm. question that we really want to be asking is, why is he doing that? Why is he biting? Why is he hitting? we tend to focus on that form instead of why. So in order to figure out that why, 
I think we have to look at what is going on all around them when the behavior occurs. I think most of us are pretty good now at looking at it happens more in math or it happens more in group activities and, you know, or it happens in the music room or things like that in more broad terms. But we really need to get specific with it. And, you know, was someone working with him and then got called away or the principal came to the door and they had to shift their attention to that other person? Well, if that's when we're seeing the behavior, even though we're not deliberately not attending to him, that was how it appears to him. So um, at that point, you know, we start looking at maybe it's attention and reaction. We've taken that away when you had to, to address somebody else. Is it happening primarily just when he needs to leave the room? Like he's fine in the room, but as soon as we get to a transition where we're going to go out of the room, that becomes a problem or between two specific activities. Is it happening during certain kinds of interactions? So do you see the behavior get worse when you redirect him? So he's engaging in a behavior, you redirect him, and it starts to escalate. Well, that's probably meaning that there is some attention-seeking piece of it. Maybe it started because he doesn't like that activity. I think we tend to look at things and in, in infer meaning sometimes. And we really want to be as, almost take ourselves out of the equation as much as possible and look down at the situation of what's going on. Maybe it was at that same time, the peer made a comment and that was upsetting, or he didn't like that they corrected him or something like that. And then I think we have to really ask what happens as the behavior is happening or after the behavior happens. And we need to look at that again as objectively as possible because a lot of times we're reinforcing the behavior mm-hmm. and we're making the problem worse and we don't even realize it. And it's not anything that anyone is doing on purpose. And it's not even anything that anyone is doing wrong. It's that we have natural reactions to behaviors. You know, one of the the biggest ones is um, I had a lot of kids that worked in a program I ran that dropped to the floor in the hallway. Well, the reason that they dropped to the floor in the hallway was because when you did that, 15 people stopped to see if it was okay. And mm-hmm. so it got a big reaction from the environment. And so I started telling the staff, I am going to walk right by you. If you need me, you signal me, but I am no longer going to talk to you about this problem because we're only making it worse. And, you know, it wasn't that anybody was doing anything wrong. We can't leave the kid in the middle of the hallway. Mm -hmm. And we want our other teachers to know that we're supporting them, which is why I stood up at a faculty meeting and told them what I was going to do. Because I'm like, I really don't want them to think I don't care. But I do know that we're actually making the problem worse because he's getting 15 people talking about him. Um, And we may think that what we're talking about is negative, but the ability to control that much of the environment is really reinforcing for kids. So I think we have to just kind of take ourselves out of the equation and think about what is it that he's doing that is, what is the reaction that he's getting? Maybe it's that when he has a tantrum all the way through math, he never does math. Maybe it's as simple as that. Or maybe it's, you know, I didn't want to do math with you, or I don't like to Mm -hmm. do math here, or I don't like to do that kind of math. And so I think we then have to kind of drill it down. Then we have to try things and see what happens. And really just try to figure out, did we, we started not responding in the hallway and having maybe something exciting to go back to class for, does that eliminate the dropping in the hallway? Right. And going earlier to what you were talking about of like, what is happening right before the behavior even happens? Right. I've 
you know, I've had so many, you know, people or staff members say, you know, I don't know, it just happens. And it's like, no, there's always a reason to why the behavior even happens right before. And just to have educators have that behaviorist eye, I guess you can say, to see what happened right before, because there's always a reason that the behavior happens in the first place, right? Right. And I think it's really hard when you're the teacher of the classroom or working in the classroom because you can't remove yourself from the situation and see it like an outsider. And that is the advantage of being a consultant or a behavior analyst who comes in and can look at it as a person that's not involved. It's a lot easier to see what's happening when I'm not trying to balance 15 million things. So right. you know, that piece of it is, is a big piece as well. So sometimes it's a matter of just really quick, write down everything you can think of that's going on right now or make a mental note of it or whatever it is. I used to go right on the blackboard really quick because it was really near me. And so that you're getting that information because it is hard. It's like, I don't know what I just did. I can mm-hmm. remember what I wanted him to do. Right. right. And we're trying to run a classroom. So yeah. sometimes it's really helpful to have somebody come in who isn't watching or just step back from your classroom and have it run without you for a little bit so that you can see it from a different perspective. Exactly. And usually what happens right after the behavior, how you were talking about that as well is probably what the child likes. Like how you were saying all those 15 kids just dropped to the floor. That is, I've, I've had maybe one or one, but 15, that's, yeah. that's crazy. And just knowing that they know that, okay, if I do this behavior, I will get this reaction at the end. And that's what they're seeking but at the very end. We don't think that reaction is positive. I mean, I hear a lot of people say, you know, but he, why would he want me to yell at him? He doesn't want you to yell at him. But he knows that he can reliably make that happen instead. Of, and, it, and it's not a cognitive, like he really isn't sitting there most of the time plotting about, well, if I do this, then she's going to do that. Right. It's, it's more like a habit. And the way that, you know, I always think about the way I responded to my mom versus the way I would respond to a teacher or the way I respond to my right. best friend or the way I respond to my mom, they're going to be different. And I don't think about it. I just interact with people differently. That's just the way we live our lives. And so I think. You're exactly right. I think that then tells you, oh, well, maybe there is something that he is being able to to control, for lack of a better word, that's predictable in this. And we all like predictability. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And any type of attention that the student can get to. Yeah. People usually assume, okay, people love or students, even us, they like that positive attention, right? But it's not always positive. Just any kind of attention period that you give to them, oh, they'll take. They will take whatever that they can get because you're finally giving me that attention. If I'm not going to get attention for something good that I'm doing, I would do the, you know, go the other way around. Right, Chris? Yes. Alrighty. And then, so the next question I have is what should you do if you have a behavior that you think is to gain people's attention or reaction, but you just can't ignore it? And that's a very good question because so often behavior people and non-behavior people say, well, just ignore it and it'll go away. Um, And first of all, ignoring is the hardest thing to do. It's very hard to ignore even a mild problem behavior 
You know, when you when you ask families of children who have really severe behavior, amazingly, the things that they're most concerned about are not things like hitting other people or hitting themselves. They're more concerned about if I have to hear wheels on the bus one more time, I'm going to throw things out the window. <laughs> um, because those it's just that disturbing. And, yeah. um, you know, I think as you pointed out, we always think that ignoring will make it go away. If the behavior is attention or reaction, yes. If we could absolutely ignore it and make it a world in which we could control all of the outcomes, it might work. But in a classroom situation, obviously, when they're engaging in a behavior that might hurt somebody else or is really mm. disruptive to other students, we don't have that option. So in addition, when we attend to something that is they're doing to gain attention, when we try to ignore it, we're going to see that behavior escalate. So mm. when the first the first rule of that type of process is when we withdraw that reinforcement, the behavior escalates in order to see if the reinforcement will come. And for a lot of our students in special ed, it might be increasing the frequency, but it also may be increasing the potential for harm. It might escalate from, well, I was screaming and falling on the floor, but that, you know, no one's responding. So then we up the severity level. Now I'm going to go hit kids. Right, right. Once we do that, you can't not engage. You have to obviously keep people safe. It's not always a, a reasonable request to ask teachers to ignore it because not only is that going to mean that uh, we're going to have to always ignore it, but it also means that we might make it worse because once he goes and starts hitting other people, we have to go intervene. And as soon as we intervene, we're reinforcing that behavior at the next level. So if that happens a couple of times, next time he starts, he starts on that next level. He starts with hitting kids instead of falling on the floor. Um, so there's a couple of ways that you can deal with that situation. My first is always to find a way of withdrawing attention, but it's not the main intervention. So the answer is never as simple as just ignore it because it's just not a simple thing to do. Because in addition to the fact that you may see that escalation, you're also making their ability to get that need met that they were trying to get met with that behavior you're making that ineffective. And what's going to happen is if we don't address the why is this happening and give them a better way of getting that met, we're just going to see another behavior show up. So, okay, now I'm not hitting people. Now I'm going to start hitting myself. And so a lot of those things, and those things happen again without the student being even aware that they're, it's not a conscious decision that they're making, but that's the way reinforcement and behavior work. So you want to think about how to make the reaction to the negative behavior smaller and the reaction to a more positive behavior much bigger. So, I mean, I had a kid who came into school and he started a conversation in the morning with, I kicked granny's car and somebody got into a conversation with him about that wasn't a good idea. Why did you do that? Blah, blah, blah. And before you knew it, there were four staff standing around this kid having this conversation about this very, that was just getting more and more inappropriate the longer we went on. Mm -hmm. And so we want to find a way to boost the reaction to appropriate ways to get attention. And we might have to prompt them to start with and dial back the attention or the redirection of the negative behavior. So for instance, in his case, if he earned all of his tokens, we would stop the entire class because he liked having the whole class's response. Mm -hmm. He's a jolly good fellow. And he ate it up. 
Like that, once he realized that that was what he could do to get all these people involved with him, he ate it up and it took us like 30 seconds. Wow. Um, but then we also want to make sure, you know, when he is walking and talking about something inappropriate, then I might use a visual to redirect, or I might just say my redirection one time, and then I'm not going to talk about it. So, you know, when I might, in some cases, I might just look away and see if he persists. I might show him a visual that says, ask me this question so that he can ask me something that's more appropriate. I teach the staff to give a signal that they need help, kind of like when they drop in the hallway that I was talking about, uh, so that everybody isn't getting sucked into the problem. And I use a lot more gestures than words. I used to tell family members that they had to kind of think of themselves as a piece of furniture at that point. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't respond to him, so they had to find a way to, to help him. The other way that we can address it is to reinforce lower amounts of behavior. So if we can't figure out what we want to really increase that meets that need, we could do it by figuring out what's the chain of behavior. So for this kid, it might've been starting talking about kicking granny's car and then escalating into talking about more and more inappropriate things that were things we didn't want talked about in school. Then we're better off dealing with the behavior early in the chain. So attending and redirecting at that point rather than waiting for the behavior to increase. So, you know, maybe when he whines, we attend. Uh, Mm -hmm. If we have a kid who starts whining and then it builds into huge screaming and yelling, then maybe we attend when he's whining and then that cuts out the rest of the chain. And then later we can start to replace the whining with a more appropriate way to get that attention. But maybe we just start by attending to the lesser problem that it begins with. Um, you could also have a special activity with lots of attention that he gets to engage with when he has fewer problems, kind of like our for he's a jolly good fellow, when he earned his tokens, he got them. But that meant he had to go a certain number of activities before being appropriate before he was going to get it. And we started small and we gradually built them up. But it's a really good way to kind of beat something that you don't always have a lot of control over. Um, Right. And it's definitely just being 10 steps ahead before the student. Right. And I love how you talked about seeing those little instances and those little triggers that, you know, like, okay, something's about to happen. Let's catch that and, you know, put, put the fire out first before it gets even worse. Because I haven't, I didn't even realize that Chris, you're so right. When there's one behavior and then the ignoring happens Mm -hmm. that it'll get worse. And Yes, I've seen it so many times. And here, you know, I've even done it myself. You know, I'll admit it, right? You know, (laughs) just thinking, okay, if I, yeah, if we ignore it, then it'll just deplete. Yeah, right. No, it actually does increase. And then another more increased behavior will actually happen. So that's such a good point. And so good to have people understand that we have to concentrate on that very first you know, instances, those first triggers that we're about to see, then let's try to work on that first before it gets even worse. So I love that point. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. And then talking about, I know earlier you were talking about, you know, trying to ignite more of that positive behavior. You know, what do we need to know about teaching replacement behaviors for challenging behaviors? Yeah. So one of the ways that we deal with a long-term plan of dealing with behavior is we want to teach the student a way to get his needs met in a more appropriate way. 
So if it's attention, then he has to be able to get attention reliably with some method that he already has or learns. If it's to escape from a situation, then he has to have a way to let somebody know, I don't want to do this right now, or I need a break right now, which I know feels very counterintuitive to what we're trying to do in the classroom. But in the long run, it it works out better. And so one of the ways that we do that is by using replacement behaviors. And I think a lot of people think, you know, hands quiet would be a replacement for hitting, but it's not really what we think of as a replacement behavior. It is an incompatible behavior. I can't do both things at one time. So it's a great thing to reinforce, but it doesn't give him a way of getting attention if that was the function of the behavior. It doesn't improve his abilities in any way at getting his needs met. So we want to know that why of what he's doing. If he's hitting to gain attention, maybe we teach him to tap your arm or give you a picture or ask for your attention by calling your name. And then we really ramp up the reaction, just like I was talking about earlier, where we give lots and lots of attention to that and as little as possible attention while we're redirecting if there's negative behavior. So we don't have to completely ignore the behavior. And as soon as we get him to make that request, we can switch gears and that allows us to get out of that ignoring escalation. And I think that is one of the the best things. Pat Miranda has a quote that I really, really love of we're making... Long, we're making, actually wrote it down because I won't remember it. (laughs) We're making short-term compromises for long-term gains. And I think, you know, when I think about talking about asking a kid to ask for a break, you're like, you're going to ask a kid to not work? That doesn't seem right. (laughs) But if, if I can get him to be able to manage that with no behavior, I can come back later and say, now we're going to do a little bit of work and then we'll take a break. Now we're going to do a little bit more work and then we're going to take a break. Some kids will make that transition on their own. Some will have to be more specific in the way we teach it. But what we're doing is we're saying right now, his behavior is a priority. So we're going to focus on that. And then we're going to fold the work back into the plan over time. Right. Uh, Usually we want the behaviors to stop right away, right? What can I do right now? So everything can be done, but That's another thing with being special educators too, is that we need to even practice even more patience, (laughs) right? We're already patient individuals, but having more patience with trying different things and not all students are the same, right? You know, one replacement behavior might not work for this other person. They're so different. And I know you mentioned earlier about a student hitting, you know, and then the replacement behavior, maybe just telling them, you know, maybe quiet hands and, but not really realizing what if it's like a sensory issue that the child just needs to get out, right? Is there some type of area or maybe some type of, of, I don't want to say maybe like a fidget or maybe you have the kids. I had, I, before I used to have my aide take my students out just to go running, take a couple laps outside, you know, do some in-place jogging or something like that, just to get that sensory output, you know, out of their system. Sometimes it's okay if he stands up during math. If that's the way he learns best, then that's what he needs. Exactly. It doesn't really make much difference to me whether he sits or he stands. It's just, we tend to think of kids sitting at a table. Exactly. I, I remember having a situation where the admin was concerned because the student needs to, I I was mainstreaming one of my students and they were concerned because they needed, they were thinking that that 
students should be in the front so they have better access to the teacher. But it was, I, this gen ed teacher was amazing because he was like, well, actually I sit him in the back because he likes to stand up and move around. Mm -hmm. So when he's mainstreaming into my gen ed class, it doesn't bother anybody else. And it doesn't, you know, and, and that's why I put him towards the back in the middle so he can stand up and do his thing. And I was like, wow, Wow. (laughs) yeah, that was huge. Because here we are thinking, okay, you know, they're trying to push our students off to the side, but no, they actually know. They had a reasonable thought of why. Yes. Yes. They notice what the child needs and what their needs are and what they need to do to make sure that the student is getting their needs met and then not distracting the rest of the kids at the same time. So I thought that was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. And then another question I have is behavior support plans. <laughs> uh, oh, behavior support plans. I could talk about this all day, right? <laughs> I think we both can. How do I get the team on board with is behavior support plan in place? That is a very good question because the best way I know how to do it is for them to be able to see it working, but we don't always have that choice because sometimes because there's that feeling of, well, he behaves for you. And it's like, well, he behaves for me because I do this. And they're, they're having a hard time seeing that connection. So one of the things I often do is I'll talk about it from the student's perspective You know, imagine that you didn't have a consistent way to get somebody's attention when you needed it. You only got to talk to your significant other when they thought to ask you something and you weren't allowed to speak to them at any other time. Um, That would be really frustrating. You know, Mm -hmm. think about how it feels for this student who is not able to get any of our attention. He doesn't have an appropriate way. So we want to make sure that the appropriate way is really paying off for him. And the inappropriate way pays off a little bit less. Um, And so I think that's one way. Another is if you can model it as much as possible so that they can see what you mean. Because I think a lot of times when we read support plans and there's not a clear understanding about what does that mean? Especially Mm -hmm. if if they come from a behavioralist and I'll pick on my own field, but we really like our jargon and our jargon doesn't mean anything to most people. So we need to make sure our support plans are written in everyday language that staff can understand. They're not like eight pages long and they're simple enough that we can make them match the environment. And I also tell them to let that all of us do this at some point. Like we all attend to this behavior when we probably shouldn't because that's our first that's our first decision. You know, those of us who've been doing it like me for almost 30 years, you get really good at ignoring it after a while. Mm-hmm. But especially somebody that's new to it, that's not an easy thing for them to do and they feel like you're letting them get away with something. And that's when I talk about that making short-term compromises for the long-term gains that we're in this for the long haul. And I also let them know to tell me when they see me do something that I told them not to do, or they don't, they see me not doing something I told them to do and make sure that they understand that I want you to tell me when I'm not following the plan, because there will be times that I will screw it up. And making it a two-way street is one of the best ways I know to build that rapport with team members that you're not saying, I'm telling you what to do and this is what you need to do. But instead, you're leading by example, but also saying, hey, my example is not perfect and I need your feedback and I'll give you feedback. 
And I think that's a really big piece. And another thing I do is, can we try it? Give me two weeks. Let's try it really hard for two weeks. And if, mm-hmm. and then we're going to look at the data and see if it got better. And if it doesn't get better, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, and so I think that is easier to stomach than, oh my gosh, for the rest of the year, we're going to have to do this. It's like, no, we're going to do it for this period of time. And hopefully during that time, they started to see it make a difference. And if not, then we have to go back and rethink it because not everything we think is going to work is going to work. A lot of it is trial and error. Right, right. And I like that you brought the point up of, you know, us being vulnerable ourselves, being accepting criticism from other people. You know, we love to tell people what to do, right? We're teachers. (laughs) But it's those instances of being more open and, you know, taking those those criticisms that and not taking things personally because I've had, oh, I can go on and on about <laughs> staff members or just people period taking mm-hmm. things uh, personally, right? And just being, just having the focus be on the child. This is for so-and-so. We are all doing this, like you said. I love that quote. I need to copy it from you. You know, those short-term of decisions for long-term gains. It is, if we do this now, then you're going to see a completely different child, hopefully very soon. And, you know, I've had a child that was eloping off of campus, actually. And that was, oh my gosh, it was um, out of the classroom for sure. But then he did attempt maybe like a few times too. And he actually did actually leave the campus and it was so scary for everyone. So with elopement and a behavior support plan, what my what I was trying to say is that getting the whole staff involved, even, you know, sometimes those behavior support yes. plans, right? Doesn't just exactly. live within your class. Right. And and right? getting everybody who's going to be affected by that plan involved. I mean, I had a general ed teacher once that I worked with who was one of them. We thought she was going to be great for this kid because she was so flexible and she, you know, she would make any changes we wanted. What I didn't realize at that point was that you could actually be too flexible. Um, And she really was, there was like no structure to what she did, which was fine for her typical second graders, but not so good for my guy. And so we came in one day and she had transformed her whole room into a giant space shuttle. And my kid was crying underneath the space shuttle because his room went away and he didn't know what to expect. And so finally I said, we ought to have a schedule that is consistent with something. Let me just find something in your room that we can kind of hang his schedule on and I'm going to schedule things around it. So I said, could he have, you know, what time do you have snack? Well, sometimes we have it at this time. Sometimes we have it at that time. And I said, could we have it at a consistent time? And she looked at me and she said, no, I don't think I can. And I had to stop myself from saying, you have got to be kidding me. We can have snack. (laughs) every day. And I had to say, you know, you know what? She knows herself well, because she can't, she can't seem to do anything in a consistent time. She Mm -hmm. is so, she was a very expressive teacher. Her kids loved her. She was an amazing teacher in a lot of ways. It just wasn't a good match for my kid that needed a lot of consistency. And so Uh I had to say that we're going to, I'm going to pick this time and he's going to have snack at this time. And if your kids want to join him, that'll be great. And if you're not, that's fine. It will still be the time that he has snapped so he knows he can count on it. And so had I not brought her into that, we would have written a whole program that wouldn't have worked because she wouldn't be able to buy into it. So yeah, the more making sure that you have everybody in the discussion 
about, you know, can you do this? Is this something you can live with? Because if I'm getting a lot of negativity, say from a para or another teacher, and they're saying, I don't understand why we have to do this. That's something I need to address. Maybe it's something I can change the plan for, or maybe it's something that I need to do some training or support for of let's try it for this period of time. I get that you're skeptical. I understand uh, but let's give it a chance and then we'll make changes if if we don't need to, you know, if it's not working. So I think that's a big thing. Now I've forgotten what the question was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I <laughs> I was talking about uh the behavior. Sorry. I, I I go off on tangents too. So like, you know, talking about the behavior support plan and making sure everybody, right. you know, is on board. Yeah. Glad you brought that up because that is another really big thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and what you were saying too, which I loved is that, you know, this teacher was too flexible. <laughs> That's kind of like me. I had to learn how to be more structured. Right. But I love that because I've had that situation too, right? Our students be go- will be going to a certain teacher and then thinking that, okay, it's not going to work. Okay. The first thing that I would think would be, okay, they're not a good teacher. Let's pull this child from the that teacher and put them in a different classroom, right? That would be my first thing. But it was great that you still was able to work with a Jenna teacher and just be like, well, this child in particular will have a certain schedule themselves then. So Mm -hmm. they know what to expect. And Mm -hmm. then so maybe these behaviors won't, you know, go off at that time because they're being structured and we know what is triggering them which would lessen the behavior as well. So I love that you still was able to work with a Jenna teacher. Mm-hmm. And because I know that's definitely always my like difficult part as being the special ed teacher, you know, coming and, you know, I, I've, I have a lot of veteran teachers, Gen ed teachers at my school. And here I am only like compared to them, only 14 years compared to their 20 years. What do I know? You know, <laughs> you know, and we have, we have, people with a lot of different personalities. So it's very great that you're able to still work with them in a way that they can do mm-hmm. and support the behavior support plan. So yeah, that works. Yeah. So thank you. All about creative problem solving. Yes, definitely. Oh my goodness. Chris, Dr. Reeves, I can talk to you forever. And <laughs> I will definitely be bringing you back on the show because I'm pretty sure that my audience members will be just going off with like, let's ask Dr. Reeves this and that. So I'm so excited to have you here today. And hopefully we can bring you on again, if that's okay with you. I'd love to. Awesome. But just to wrap things up here, because I know I could talk to you forever. Where can the audience members find you and connect connect with you? Yeah, they can find me at autismclassroomresources.com. The podcast link is there. I also have a free webinar on prevention strategies for behavior, and they can find that at autismclassroomresources.com slash tame dash behavior. And that'll actually get you into the list for our free resource group and library and things like that as well. Awesome. Because I know my audience members are always needing more resources and everything. So thank you so much. That would be huge for my audience. Thank you so much, Dr. Reeves. It was great having you on the show. Please come back again and you take care. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. We talked about so many different areas today. So you all can get a good idea of the knowledge 
Dr. Christine Reeve brings. I would love to have her back on the show. So I would love if you could hop in the Facebook group at www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash stepping into special ed and let me know what resonated with you on today's show and what you'd like to hear more about. Also, don't forget in celebration of this 50th episode and 10K downloads, you can have a chance to be entered in a drawing to win a $25 gift card to Amazon. All you need to do is share one of your favorite episodes from the show. You can do this by messaging it to a friend, take a screenshot and DM me on Instagram at stepping into special ed or emailing me at stepping into special ed at gmail.com or taking a screenshot of the episode and sharing it on Instagram or Facebook and be sure to tag me. So I know that that is your entry into the raffle. You have until June 30th. I will announce a winner on the following episode, which should be on July 4th. So get your entry in now before Friday, June 30th. All right, my friends, I'll catch you on another episode of Stepping Into Special Education. Take care and have a great week. Hey, before you leave, if you felt this show taught you something and got you one step closer to where you want to be, please leave me a quick review and follow this podcast. It is the best thing you can do to keep the show going. Also, be sure to join my free Facebook group. You'll be able to connect with me and get support from fellow educators just like you. Remember that you do make a difference and that there's always that one student that can't wait to see you every single day. Till next time, my friend. Take care.